Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places a dive, and scuba news. Scuba Obsessed episode 277 is recorded live March 24th, 2016. Welcome back to Scoop Obsessed. I'm Darren Gilson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan where it is spring. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? Uh, doing very well. Thank you. Glad to be here. So, yeah, it's, uh, we're, we're getting that weather. I, I think we're past that point. We'll still have some cold days, but we've definitely out of the winter hole, well, I would say. Well, that snow on Monday. Nah, I'm, I'm ignoring it. Until I see it happen. We had some very massive wind shears today. Oh, what, was there some good wind shears? And I was uh, looking, I was talking to somebody on the phone, looking out my patio window, <clears throat> and I'm watching my trees bend 45 degrees. Wow. And I got up to say, I don't hear any tornado noises. <laughs> I got up to say, what the hell's going on? And my trees, I mean, the big ones in the back, they were just going nuts. And I thought, man, that's unusual. And I watched them do that for three or four minutes and back to normal. Then later I saw a broadcast and had some uh, down south of us. Mm-hmm. They had obviously had some same issues, and they were showing some trees in the middle of nowhere just knocked right over. Wow. And she was trying to explain how that happened. It wasn't a tornado. It was a wind shear. But uh, it was impressive watching those trees rotate back and forth. Yeah, that that's – I've seen what you're talking about. I didn't see it today. Uh, would now, that be anchored on a wreck offshore and have that run over my boat? Ooh, that wouldn't be good. Uh, no. Uh, now, as a pilot, uh, how do you notice wind shear when you're in the air? Uh, when you're going down and you're full throttle trying to go up. And <laughs> that's not comfortable. I mean, it's bad enough when you're just flying and hit some big bumps. But on uh, landing, that, w- that would be uh, very bad. And that's what has created some major wrecks. Uh, at uh, Dallas-Fort Worth. I think that was the last biggest one. It had a sounding of wind shear. The guy didn't didn't even get it and just took him right down. Wow. Yeah, not a happy time. No, that does not sound like a happy time. Well, let's but, go but ahead and... Uh, you know, watch it, though. Let's go ahead and jump right on into the scuba news. First article up is one out of deeperblue.com. Uh, they have an article they're calling Four Tips for Once a Year Scuba Divers. And, you know, somebody's going to have to explain this to me. What is a once a year scuba diver? Is, he goes to is, Cousin Bell and has a week, or he's taking a boat cruise and he has a opportunity to go dive. I, I just can't comprehend it. How, how would you only want to go once a year? Seems like you'd want to go every day. Well, depending on how many times you go to Cancun or something, if you're <laughs> up here, you could dive up here. I keep pitching it to my doctor who's a diver; he's in dove up here. One of these days, I'm going to get him back in the water. Again, it's the cold water, low visibility. People do not like. Yeah. You've got to be sort of bred into it. Yeah. Well, I don't think he's even thought of trying it. I think he's one of those divers, and I haven't had a lot of time to talk to him about it. But we do chat a little bit. 
but I think he's one of those divers who took lessons, you know, in a resort is one of those things he did when he was on vacation and just has never even thought of it. I can't tell you how many times I'll talk to somebody on the phone and I mention I'm a scuba diver and they're like, what you got scuba diving in Michigan? Well, I've got my, the guy who helps me with my financial planning, he dives and uh-huh. he considers himself a fair weather diver because the Cozumel and stuff, but he dives a lot more than any one time a year. Right. But uh, he was telling me he was on a trip to New Zealand and uh, they had to put on nine mil suits. He said about froze his butt off, but there at least you still had visibility. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But nine mil suits, that is a, that's pretty hardy. I don't even, I don't, I think the most I've done is, uh, is my seven. I have tried on a nine mil mask mm-hmm. and I've layered up to where I've had maybe 10 mil. You mean hood? Yeah, right. That's what I meant. Yeah, mask. You, you could you could do a double up in mask. No, I had uh, had I've I've done a couple hoods, and I've seen yeah, some people do on your on your face mask. I can see a thermal pain there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> triple pain, a little yeah, argon between the lenses or something. Uh, yeah. I, I thought his his numbers was interesting. Six to ten million worldwide divers. Don't you think there was more than that? Out of seven billion people, you know. Surveys estimate the number of divers 6 to 10 million, with half from the U.S. I think it's got to be more than that. I think that I I can't believe that U.S. is half. I know diving is getting to be real popular in China, and just by the number of people they have there, they have to be, if not beating us, at least half of us. Yeah, I, I, I think these numbers may be a little light, but it could be. I, I thought the statistics are interesting, too. A couple of years ago, DEMA did a survey of 24,000 divers, and they said the definition of the term active, approximately 77% of the divers consider themselves active divers. Of those active, 11% had not been diving in over a year. Only about 65% of those who called themselves scuba divers are active. Both are active and active groups, which are loosely termed as once-a-year divers. That's something we've always been trying to identify. The bottom line is basically you're still considered a diver, as long as you've got a tank in your closet. So if you own the tank and it's in your closet, then you're a diver? Obviously, because you have equipment. Yeah. Well, I, I think equipment could count. Uh, I, I may ask you that you know, maybe you have to have your uh, dive plate half mask and you can fold it over until if you're not <laughs> diving at least once a year. I'd love to. I'd, actually, this is good. Anybody out there listening to us, we'd be very interested in what you would consider the minimum number of dives a person should do a year. To can be considered active. Yeah. Not dangerous. Yeah. That would be, uh, the show at scubaobsessed.com. That will get to us and we'll read your comments. You can also follow us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash scubaobsessed. Uh, let us know what you think. Uh, yeah. I, I would really like to. One, it'll give us an impression of how many people are listening and care enough to, to send a response back. But I'm, I'm serious because there, that, there's an aspect about saying just because you have a C card that's not got an expiration date. It's good for life. You know, realistically, it ain't going to happen because I think most of us are smart enough to know that if you don't dive for three or four years and you're not in really good shape, you might not want to put the tank on and go diving. Again, warm, clear water, you could get away with it. Cold, lousy water with a current, maybe not. Yeah. So I'm curious, how many dives do you have to do a year to be considered current? And maybe your point there with the conditions, that the conditions, should there be a scale? You know, if you're, if you, if you live in Florida and you want to go once a year to go get the lobsters during the mini lobster season, is that, would that 
mean you're an active diver? You know, once a year you go out and do that. Uh, now, active doesn't necessarily mean safe or proficient. Well, yeah, and that was the other aspect, too. I'm not talking about deep diving. I'm not talking about, you know, wreck diving. But what I would consider a shallow recreational dive of less than 30 feet, yeah. you know, not in a hazardous middle of a storm tsunami scenario. Yeah. Well, I guess if we flipped it around and said, how about snorkeling? You know, if somebody asked me, are you a snorkeler? I would consider myself, you know, I, I don't, that's not my objective, but I've snorkeled, <coughs> excuse me, a few times and I would call myself a snorkeler. You know, I'd, I'd have no problem getting in the water and, and putting a snorkel and doing that, but I haven't been snorkeling intentionally. Gosh, probably in six years. <clears throat> I wouldn't consider that unless I did not have a tank on. Well, that, that's my thing. I enjoyed diving enough, but if I was in Florida and the family wanted to go and that's, you know, that's all they can do is snorkeling, I would, I would go and do it. Because not only are you just staying on the surface like that, but you're doing free diving down to look at something that's seven feet down. You want a closer look at yeah. That's what I associate with snorkeling. Yeah. And course is like when we do a river dive and you run out of air because we know we, you know, <laughs> our drift dive. Yeah. It's good to have a snorkel because it's a lot easier to swim with your BC inflated with your face in the water than without. Yeah. But I was just thinking of that as just of something that I don't actively do, but I've done and I feel proficient enough to be able to pick it back up. So maybe that's how people feel about diving. Even though I know if I don't get diving for two, two months, I can tell when I go back in that I'm not, I don't have that confidence and that I did when I was active, you know, a couple times a month or more. But it's like, even if you have, um, in skydiving, for example, um, uh, expert rating D license, if it's been a while past six months, it's per the, uh, the rules require you to be observed by a jump master in your first jump after doing a re- recurrency. Mm-hmm. And that also assumes that you've gone through your basic review of all your equipment, your handles, your emergency procedures before you get into the airplane to do your recurrency jump. How many people go that mentality if it's been a year since they've dove? I hope everybody does. Yeah, it's worth, you know, definitely make sure you have a dive buddy. If you're a solo diver and you haven't been in the water for a year, that's not the time to be a solo diver again. And and again, it's really hard to put, you know, as I start thinking about that, you know, if we do 10-foot water, decent vis, you know, beach dive, I'm looking for stuff using the metal detector, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm 10 feet maximum. Yeah. Am I going to get in trouble? Probably not, no matter how screwed up I screw. You know, all I do is I can thin four feet to the surface and, and breathe. So it, that's uh, this is going to be a hard question to answer. It would be quite interesting to find out people's opinions. But in the article, they talk about if you're a once-a-year diver, what are the four things that you should be doing? And I think this even goes to active divers. I think the assumption if you're an active diver, you're covering some of this. But the first one is is be, is, uh, be dive fit, meaning that you're in some sort of condition and health for it. And they recommend uh, uh, exercise activity. And that even goes for us active divers. We need to be doing that, you know, have some sort of fitness plan. Uh, another recommendation I have is refresh and prep. Uh, they say get you know get in contact with a local dive shop, uh, you know maybe go diving with them, maybe do a practice session. 
Uh, they also said consider a liveaboard for your once a year dive trip. Um, they're saying that that's a good opportunity. You're on the boat already and you have uh, a support network and you're also diving in some great locations. And they said just go dive, which is what we would advocate. Uh, may just get in the water. You know, do it at least once a year, if not more. That pictorial, by the way, we're looking at, that uh-huh. looks like a ladder on its side. Oh, it is. Now that you say that, I was trying to figure out what type of frame. What Max referring to is in the article, there's somebody doing an ice dive, and they're floating at the water level. And I almost thought it was like some sort of uh, gangplank or something. But that you're right. That's a uh, stepladder on its side. Yeah, a large stepladder. <laughs> yeah. You think that's so they, they were worried they would, couldn't climb out? I, I that Well, you wouldn't put it on the side like that. I, it's, it's really odd. I, I'm trying to figure out what they did. But did you notice in the top part, it said 250,000 people in Switzerland hold a scuba diving license? So per capita, that's got to be pretty good. Yeah, that, that's a scrunch. And they said that the market survey three years ago revealed that 20% of those divers dived at least 10 times a year. And 10% dive weekly year-round. All right, that's like our club. But, you know, if you did that, that's only 52 dives a year. Wow, that's that's hardly enough to even count. <laughs> no, but, you know, <laughs> most people would love to get out at least once a week. Oh, that's awesome. Because looking into are you fit, go back through it. Number one item for all of the Americans is that same aspect. Do you get out and have at least three to four days every week? Of activity that exceeds 30 minutes of exercise. Oh, yeah. I'd say no. No. No, I agree. You're sitting in your cube. And that's what I like about diving is it gets me out and, and does that. My last dive, uh, I remember huffing and puffing, hauling my gear around. So I, I've been working out since then, but you, you just got to keep active. Yeah. So we're hopefully going to get some feedback on this. Uh, that That's a whole avenue we could get into here. And, and then government the thinks they should be recertified annually or at some frequency. And so Uncle Sam will eventually have something to say about this. Yeah, some insurance company. I'm surprised insurance agencies haven't done it. The only thing I can think of is that the industry's self-regulated itself, and there hasn't been enough lawsuits to force it to be a requirement. Um, Probably. And then I remember this next uh, topic this used to be the kind of the joke of, of what you're taking when you go to college. And Rutgers is actually doing it. Uh, they're introducing underwater basket weaving class. They said even though basket weaving may seem to be a straightforward task, doing so while scuba diving is another story. Underwater basket making is a non-credit course under the Department of Recreation Services offered by Student Affairs at Rutgers. Said the scuba coordinator, Debbie Miller, participants have the opportunity to get in the water and practice their basket-making skills. In order to make baskets, the reed in the baskets, weaving material have to be wet. So we figured what better way to do that than sitting at a pool deck with a lawn with a bucket of water at your feet. It gives people a chance to share the fun activity with friends and get to the water and look at the coordination and creativity and then fun break studying and opportunity. Something you said the class had initially been offered about 12 years ago but took a break before the university's officials began last fall to offer the class in spring. More than 60 people participated throughout the semester so far. Micah Lubowitz, School of Arts and Sciences sophomore, said he learned about the class through his friends and was determined to get involved from the get-go. It's a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity I could not pass up. I love the class. It was a perfect combination of underwater recreation, arts, and crafts. Isn't that what you send your kids to school for? (laughs) 
Students do not need any prior scuba, di- scuba diving, basket waving, or swimming skills. Yeah. They said the class is a single session course offered about three hours from 7 to 10 p.m. in the evenings. So far, it's been offered a variety of weeknights, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I, I, I can't see why a dive shops aren't doing this. Because it's just kind of edgy enough or unique enough that you could get people in there. And it's really a discover scuba type of situation. You're going to show them how to put the gear on. They're going to be in a pool. It's going to be very safe. What you're going to do is, because if you're in college, you're going to do it. So you can say, well, why did you take classes? Well, I took on a world of basket weaving just to be able to say that with a straight face. Yeah. And and you probably get some sort of certificate, I'm hoping. Do they mention if there's any cost to it? It's a non-credit course. Well, I can't imagine someone's going to let you have their gear plus the pool time. Plus, if you look at the forms they're using, those are pre-drilled base holes and the materials. Oh, I see, for the making the baskets. Yeah. Then you have to get people to uh, recollect the stuff they lose. Oh, yeah. You, you can f- clean out the the basket material from the filters. Now, is that a hooker rig? It's hard to tell. Or is that a snorkel? Oh, no, it's not. It must be a snorkel we're seeing on the other side. Yeah, but he's got a regulator in his mouth. Yeah, he's got a regulator in his mouth, but there's something on the, up his head. At first, I thought that was the... The line, like maybe they're doing that's surface applied. That's a snorkel. Guy on the right-hand side has one, too. Yeah. But you, that's the perspective we're looking at. Yeah. yeah interesting. And then we've got the, oh, I don't think I got this next one queued up. Let me pull it up. This one is the M, the Mate ROV competition. I hope you have better luck getting that up to come up than I did. You mean the one with the Hillary ad? Yeah, that one pops up. That is not the photo you want to use of Hillary for trying to get her elected. <laughs> we won't go into politics on you. Well, I know, but if, and that says paid for by the Hillary fund, but that photo is, yeah, I understand she's 90, so that's fine. Yeah, I can't, how do you, how do you, how do you get by this damn thing? I don't know if you do because that's, yeah, mine won't come up either. Well, that really sucks. Well, the bottom line is it's, uh, and they do this every year. It's called the 2016 Great Lakes Regional Mate ROV Competition. Mm-hmm. It's in Thunder Bay, Michigan at the Moraine Sanctuary. They host the Great Lakes Regional Mate ROV Competition. And they do get the students from all over Midwest to the Northeast of Michigan. That'll pay, take place. In May 21st, Alpena Country Plaza Pool and Alpena High School. So is that a case where you bring your ROV up there and... It's competition uh, like you did with your robots. Okay. Maybe that's something I need to do some looking into. Oh, uh, but May 21st, that's coming up too quick. We don't have time for that. Right. And then the second one under that was, it's called From the Gulf of Mexico to Jupiter's Moons. Mm -hmm. This is ROV encounters in inner and outer space. And that's part of the 15th annual MATE International ROV competition. And that's going to be in June 23rd to the 25th. And that's at the NASA Johnson Space Center Neutral Buoyancy Lab in Houston, Texas, USA. That would be fun to go to yeah. if they'd let me dive. Yeah. And, and MATE is Marine Advanced Technology Education. Right. And the, and, the, and they went to the click on for that one. It'll actually come up and not go through AOL. Oh, to the, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the, the page right now. All right. I just went to it myself. Yeah. Uh, I think it's interesting. You see the classes of competition. It's called Explorer, Ranger, Navigator, Scout class. 
or yeah, classification. Mm-hmm. And each of those have different requirements and products. So if you're into ROVs and a lot of people are doing that now for exploration, here's some opportunities to take a look and see, is this something you might want to participate in or at least eyeball? Yeah. yeah I'll have to take a look at this. I'm, I'm certainly going to bookmark this and look at doing it. Maybe it might be an off-season thing for the robotics team. And then I've got some shipwrecks. Uh, I don't know. Did I pick, did I send those to you? You're talking about this uh, San Francisco one, ninety-five yes. year old shipwreck. Yes. Yeah, it's the same one we talked about a couple of years, well, maybe last year. Uh huh. And it's always a, it's not it's a new one now, but it wasn't. Meaning it's just been found lost, or the interest right. has gone away, and now somebody rediscovers it. Yeah. But watching the video, and if you happen to watch the video from the link, you you want to go in about 50 seconds, and there's a really nice shot. And I don't remember seeing that ROV shot from before. Oh, I don't either. Yeah, and it said on uh, Friday will be the 95th anniversary of the shipwreck that was once shrouded in misery, mis- misery. Mystery. Federal researchers announced that we found the answers outside the Golden Gate. Uh, it's a big tugboat, 170 feet long, clearly made for open ocean. It didn't match any civilian records, but historians found a Navy ship called the Conestoga. It had gone missing with a crew of 56. By all accounts, it had vanished off Hawaii, but what if it never made it that far? The wreck was found near the uh, Farallon Islands, just out there. Farallon Islands. Farallons. Farallons. Why can't I say that? I sound like I'm from another country. Outside the Golden Gate, researchers returned with an underwater robot for a closer look. We identified a 3-inch 50 caliber naval gun. In the photographs at San Diego, we have a gunnery crew standing next to the same gun, so it's our smoking gun, Schwimmer said. It looks a lot like another tugboat, the Hercules. It's now permanently docked in San Francisco Bay. In fact, researchers use this boat to help them identify what was on the ocean floor. These ships, like our Hercules at the park, are very narrow. These tugs, and they roll. These tugs and they roll. I don't know what he was saying there. They said frequently in that area, winds can get over 100 miles per hour and currents many, many knots. Meaning they roll over. Yeah. What's what's amazing is they thought they lost it in Hawaii, but it was right there in San Francisco. So nobody survived then. And that's hard to believe they wouldn't have debris come off and wash ashore and people say, oh, I wonder what this is from. Right. It makes you wonder what was going on in the river in I mean, wouldn't there have been people along the river unless it was in a fog or something? It's just amazing. In that location, you could lose a boat and 56 people. Yeah. And not even realize it. Well, what is it? Uh, down in Bermuda Triangle, what, last yeah. year? They lost that freighter. There it is, and there it's not. And if they hadn't had radio contact, they'd never know. No. Interesting. Yeah, and then, there's, then we have another link which shows... Uh, Different perspective on Different that. perspective. And this was a raw Noah feed, so this is the what all the news media is using. Right. I like this one, too, because uh, it shows pictorials of the ROV before they put it in. Mm-hmm. And it's the same one that got the same shots above, but this gave you more background information, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And then, then some of the file f- images. You know, the, gun, the, the deck gun. That is, a, to me, a good-sized gun. I see the octopus all over that thing. What are you seeing? Octopus. Did One minute, 27 seconds into it. Oh, okay. As a side note, my uh, future son-in-law, perhaps, who dives and 
Australia was talking about. There's a little octopus out there, and I can't think of what to call it. It's a blue one or something. Uh-huh. I don't want to get bit by it because it's like a, one of those fatal bites. Really? Yeah, they may look pretty, he said, but you really don't want to play with the animals down there too much. I noticed that about that part of the world. It's like everything kills you. Well, I, yeah. Even the, even the guys known for extreme stuff die from things. Well, that that uh, pictorial before and after shots, that's good of the cannon. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty good size weapon, isn't it? Yeah, a little bit of something there. It's nice that they they do have that photo for the before and after. Oh, yeah, I like that one there. You know, this is something I, I would think I'd see down the, the River Nile or the Congo mm-hmm. or something you'd seen in China in the old days. Yeah. How about that manipulator arm they have in that ROV, though? Nice. That's got a, it's a, got a nice kind of clamp. Yeah, this ship picture is very, very good. Yeah, it makes you I'm wonder trying, if any of the guys in that photo were the ones that were lost. Yeah, I was just trying to see how much of this would have washed up. Well, when um, in one of the videos where they showed the like a side scan of it, it looked exactly like that vessel. So it, maybe it didn't have anything really loose on it that came off. Yeah, I'm uh, looking at the stern shot, and you're right. That's exa- it's flush on the bottom. You can see the rudder, the prop, mm-hmm. and actually she's level on the bottom. Yeah. Yeah, she is. She's perfectly level. I wonder how did deep that depth? is. I was going to say, did they say the depth? It seemed like last year it was like 130 or 140. I'm surprised. I thought it was deeper because I, why would you use an ROV for something you could bounce? I don't know. Well, let, let's find out. Let's uh, We can get the great big book of everything and say depth of the... That's C-O-N-E-S-T-O-G-A. Well, let's see. The Navy solves the mystery of fifty-four. Uh, oh, wow! At a depth of one hundred eighty-five feet. Right. I'm looking at the National Marine Sanctuaries, and they've got a very nice multi-beam sonar picture of it. Should I send that to you, or is that something you looked at? Um, I'm seeing one from CNN. Uh, this one here is is pretty much like the other article we just looked at. Uh, except it's got a modern painting of the wrecked site. Ooh. Uh, let me send that to you real quick. Um, it's got a multiple, it's, it's quite a few of the same pictures we've seen before, except they're okay, much easier yeah. to look out. Yeah, send that to me. I'll try this site. This is pretty nice. Uh, it's got some good pictures of, uh, going through a gale in March of 1921, southeast of Farline Island. And if you look at the pictures in the gale, you can see why that turned over, if that's what it did. And then the modern painting shows the total superstructure is gone, all of it. But she is lying just flat on the bottom. Everything down to the to the regular deck is gone. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I like these a lot of a lot of photos. So yes. this is from what site? This is National Marine Sanctuaries. Yes. Very 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 nice. Very nice. I'm. I'm that's a good thing. Wow, so they've they've well, got quite a bit of it documented. Yeah, all these guys look so freaking young. Oh, if you go down further, there's a really big poster you can buy. It's got uh, 10 shots, pictures on the right and left. Down the middle, it's got a picture of the boat on the bottom uh, and the cutaway showing you what is where. Very nice. Hadn't seen this before. Now, did you download it? No, I'm just, if you keep continuing scrolling down, you see what I'm talking about. 
This is very nice. I'm going to pause it because it's a gigantic (laughs) file, but you can actually download that file and print it yourself. Well, I'm going to save that site because I bet if we go there, look for other shipwrecks, they might have covered the shipwrecks to the same degree they did this one. Yeah. This is very nice. Yeah. And and I like you you can get to it real quick. There's not a lot of garbage. There was no garbage. Bingo. I like that. That's good. Just for kicks, I'm typing in Great Lakes. Now, I wonder if they're only covering, well, they got tons of, as you would expect, Thunder Bay. Yeah. Thunder Bay, Thunder Bay, Thunder Bay, Thunder Bay. In fact, that's all they've got. I, Tobomori, I'd be surprised if you didn't find something there. Door County. Well, there is Wisconsin. There's something in Wisconsin. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. We have to take a, I'll have to, we'll do some digging around later on. But Nice uh, site, though, people. Yeah, good job. Okay, let's see. What else do we have? So that was the videos. Interesting to see. I love good ROV shots. Gives you a good idea what ROV can do. And then some potentially cool scuba gear. This first one was in PC Magazine. It was a review of a camera. And it's the Sea Life Micro 2.0 Wi-Fi. They recently reviewed $499. They said the camera's aimed at scuba divers. It's rated to 200 feet. Down ultra wide lens makes a uh, good angle for underwater photography. Get close to the subject. 1080p 60 video recording is also uh, part of it. You know, my question looking at this is why would you go with this over a GoPro? I, I wouldn't right now because the GoPro, you, you got the 4K, mm-hmm. you've also got the Wi Fi remote. Yeah, the only difference is this goes deeper. But then again, you start going down 200 feet, you're going to be a professional. You're going to have different cameras. Right. This is not going to be your camera to use at 200 feet. Yeah. But what I like about this article is if you go down further, mm -hmm. it then hits it with the uh, compare similar products. Talks about the Olympus, Canon, Leica, and Nikon, who does the same thing. Yeah. So what this is aimed at is if you're a rich person (laughs) and you just do that diving once a year and you decide, you know what, I want to go take some underwater photos – that's what it's meant to be, a point-and-shoot for somebody to go underwater. Uh, I just I just think it's incredibly high-priced, and there are better options. But if you're not taking time to look at it, maybe that's what you go and get. Yeah, it is interesting. Yeah. And then the next one was out of Scuba Diver Life magazine, the iBubble Underwater Camera Drone. Now, that sounds interesting. So the, and I think we've talked about this one before. So this is an autonomous action camera, and what it's supposed to do is follow you around underwater? Yes. It's like the drone ones that you've got now on the surface, mm-hmm. that you do action shots and your drone will follow you mm-hmm. and then film you from an angle that's constant. Yeah. This is the same thing for underwater. What I thought was interesting is wireless doesn't work too good underwater. Right. I'm curious about the technique of the the wristband and how you can transmit that far. Because I'm looking at the pictorial. Because if you go down the page on the one you've already put in, it gives you a pictorial uh, or graphic representation of how it's following you. Mm-hmm. I'm curious how far away it will work. And again, I I don't think these are fully developed yet because it said pre-sale started in February mm-hmm. this year. So we haven't got any feedback on that yet. Yeah. Well, what they what they may be doing, and they don't say here, is, I mean, electrical signals. I know they are working on sending data. If you look at uh, some of those 
dive computers, the ones that will communicate back and forth to the boat and to, between the divers. I know they're doing something like that, but I think they're doing some of it like a subsonic. And maybe this is do, using that same technology. Okay. So it well, might just be a frequency that we don't hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got to be able to detect direction. Something like that. Uh, the interesting part I thought about it, too, was the eye bubble is the device that you put your camera in. Because it fits most cameras, including the GoPro, mm-hmm. and can be sh- uh, set up to shoot 2D and 3D. Yeah. And it's water boots, what, 230 feet, which yeah. is more than what I'm going to be needing anytime soon. Right. Well, I, I think it's an excellent idea if you can get it to work. So the bracelet allows the driver to switch the drone between different modes, such as shadowing or a complete 360 panorama. Also, that means that it would focus on you and just kind of move all the way around you. Yes. Now, that would be nice. Well, here's the other thing. I was just wondering about that. If you had good vis, I can see how you can work this because then you can have it slave optically to you, just like a missile. Mm-hmm. You, you you have the target, you got it, now you just stay at a certain oh, distance. Oh, certainly. Out. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, with the robotics team, we're doing vision tracking, and that's easily doable now. Yeah, because then I could, you could do that because then you could put a strobe or a high-intensity light mm-hmm. on your tank that didn't interfere with you, but it could home in on that. Do they, do they give an idea how much time this thing has? Well, I think they said below a fully charged battery would last one hour and is unit replaceable or user replaceable. Okay. Well, because the other thing is I, I've got some – video projects that I've wanted to do, and the, and the challenge is the uh, amount of uh, divers it would take. You know, to do the program, I, I calculated I needed about 20 to 30 people just to record an episode. So that's kept it on the back burner. But if I if you get, you know, some of these, even if it wouldn't completely re- replace your divers, at least it allow you to get some additional shots without having a huge crew. Right, and I, I don't want to belabor a point, but scroll all the way down to the down to the under the article. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of interesting pictures. I know there we didn't talk about them, but that uh, Sapanian employees underwater police force. That's a nice boat. And if you go a little further down, it talked about the ghost-like octopus discovered on the Pacific Ocean floor. Shows a picture of a looks like an albino. Mm-hmm. You see that? Yeah, that's uh, that was that's been out a couple weeks. They've been talking about that one. Okay, I'll, I'll quit being that squirrel. But I thought, yeah, that's a, that's a, from scubadiverlife.com magazine, which which I think is a pretty nice title. Oh yeah, uh, I, I I don't spend a lot of time on here, but they've they've been going around. They started about the same time we started the podcast, so they're uh, a lot of guest authors. Let's see, do we have anything else in the cool scuba gear? Again, what's floating around, and just be aware, I, I I don't put a lot of credence on it, but it got my attention again was the, if you remember the James Bondish underwater gills, it, it seems like there's been a fresh round of that making the Internet. It's amazing the the quality of sites that are reporting it almost as if it's a current product. Um, I think one even said it was a Kickstarter project, but I can't find it on Kickstarter or Indiegogo or any of those projects. But it was a, if you remember in one of the James Bond movies, they had this little thing he put in his mouth and it, you know, was not much bigger than your regulator. And it was a rebreather, or at least that's what they're saying. I think James Bond was just supposed to be a pressure tank, but in this one they're saying it's a rebreather. But uh, it doesn't appear to be any more real today than it was before. It was done as somebody's project for engineering of just, you know, hey, wouldn't this be neat? But it keeps getting picked up like it's an actual product. Right. We looked at the one that says luxury for play. Mm-hmm. 
And it says, pledge $300 to the cause. You'll get a Triton respirator by the end of this year when the first uh, shipments are scheduled to go out. Said source is Indigo. Let me, I'm going to see if that's a link there. Can you see if you can get to it? Share it with me. Cause I, right. Oh, yes. Go to it. Did you find it? No, I can't find it. I looked. Oh, it's not on yours? No. No. Uh, all right. Just let's see what it says here. I'm trying to look for it. Which one are you looking at? Which article? Uh, is it the Oh Gizmo or the Luxury for Play? Luxury for Play. That's okay. where I'm at. Go all the way down to the bottom, and it'll say the source right before the video showing the guy swimming with it. Mm-hmm. Click on that one. Wow, the, the photos in this. So somebody's done some more prototyping. Now, it says $660,788 USD. Is that how much they've gotten already? Yes. Yes, they've, so or, they've already done almost three quarters of a million dollars. The original goal was fifty thousand dollars. That's too cheap. Two hundred ninety-nine dollars oh, is basically what it was going to well, be. Well, no, it's not too cheap because they're never going to deliver it. Well, I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, very inexpensive. Yeah, because what they did is they did the Indiegogo project for it. They put it together. They're getting all these backers, and they just get to the end and go, "Oh, sorry, guys, we we couldn't figure it out. Thank you for the money." Because they're under no obligation to do this. It's not a shopping cart. It's a a backer program. It says, gently bite in the mouthpiece, breathe normally, enjoy the sense of water, water freedom until just now. Just imagine uh, gin clear waters, tropical fish, equipment, not even surface for the air. I mean, it sounds cool. But, uh, keep scrolling down. You're going to see pictures of the membranes and stuff, too. First time I've seen that. Let's see. Where are they going to do the membrane? Keep coming. They have a video shot. Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing the, the close-up. I'm I'm calling BS myself. It's like, how are you going to pump that much water through it? I don't see that. Well, just got to swim faster. Yeah, uh-huh. These, the the holes in the threads are similar to water molecules, small, are smaller than water molecules. They keep the water out, let the oxygen in. John is a marketing genius from Sweden. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, he's going to go take a trip and hide somewhere. So if you've if you've done this, so if you've given them money, please keep us informed and let us know how it goes. Absolutely. I do not think you're ever going to see it, but it would be interesting. Because even though, okay, so let, let's 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 take this apart. So say you've got this membrane that only lets oxygen through. You, just because you have a membrane that's that small doesn't mean that the oxygen is going to be separated from the water. Also, what are you breathing? I mean, how can you – it doesn't – I don't think you're going to be able to get that to gasify and expand quickly enough where you can breathe like you're used to on the surface. You can't suck that far yeah. at 15 feet. You cannot. I mean, you can't do it with a snorkel. So you've got to have some kind of force. Assisting your breath. Yeah, it says the artificial gears are made out of microporous hollow fiber. This is a pioneering technology that keeps water molecules out and lets oxygen in. In water out of what? The air you're breathing? You're not, you don't have, you don't have any breath. I mean, go into a bottom of a pool and try and suck down a straw. You're going to see how effective that works. Our modified microcompressor can extract enough oxygen for a human to comfortably breathe out of water. Breathe underwater. All right. First person who's really done that, let us know. Send us a video. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to see it. Do they they actually say that they've 
got it going or? Well, I suppose I've been sending them out since February. Well, they claim in April of 2015 they have a completely functional prototype. I will save my money at this point. Yeah. You know what's funny about that? Well, the, you know the, uh, the little bottle you used to have a little regulator on? Mm-hmm. I can't even think of what the hell you used to call that now. Oh, the, uh, I know the ones. The Spare air. Spare air, yes. Right. The baby bottle, and then you had the, the big old one that gave you twice as many breaths. You know, that was not a great idea either. I mean, I suppose it was a great idea for 15 feet type people. If you're a pilot in a plane and yeah. you want a couple breaths to get you to the surface, maybe. Yeah. yeah. So you won't panic since your car goes in the water. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you could take two of those canisters, screw those in. That would work. <laughs> yeah. Well, is that the other thing? Is are, are you compressing air into it and you're just using this as a snorkel? Because didn't we have one of those? Somebody had a product like that. That was uh, that was another one that we covered. Or it was basically like a personal compressor. So you would come to the surface. It would compress, fill a small tank, and then you'd go down. I, I know if we go back to the show notes, we had one that was doing that. Huh. Uh, but this one, they're not. that's not what they're saying. They're actually saying this is a rebreather. It's, you're filtering out oxygen. Yeah. I can't believe it because I don't think you're going to have a... I've not seen any evidence you have a pump that that's, that is that good to give that much volume of water flow. Okay. To me, now, yeah, I, I want to see a well-known, I mean, they could send us one and we could try it or they could uh, get a trusted diver. I mean, you got Steve Lewis or Jill Heinert. I mean, you could have them try it out. Uh, and there's, there's a bunch of respectable divers out there. So if anybody's seen it, tried it, Heard about it? Give us some feedback. We'd like to know. Inquiring minds want to know. Yep. Well, that does it for cool scuba gear and scuba in the news. It's kind of a little shorter this week. Well, we have had some muddies out there getting wet this week. Yes, and they're they're putting me to shame at least. Uh, well, say I know that in the last week, not counting the aborted dive on the. Uh, uh, Iron tides. Iron tides, right? Which was a smart decision. Yes. Uh, yeah. You can you can always say no to a dive. If anybody makes fun of you, macho crap, don't dive with those people because they're. I mean, you're supposed to be supportive. Yep. For whatever reason you want to dive, you don't dive. Uh, three foot chop suddenly coming out of nowhere, and you're you're dra- you're dragging your anchor at four knots is a really good reason not to go on a dive. Yes. Uh, but I mean, he's been on. Uh, out on the river a couple of times. He's been on uh, up north in Grand Rapids, getting some diving in there, and then he was in Woods Lake uh, the other day. Yes. So he is getting diving in uh, cool. several times a week, and he said every weekend. I think he's he actually committed to every weekend this year. Mm-hmm. So that is Kevin. Good job, Kevin, getting out there and doing some diving. And it seems that it's contagious. So the more people who get out there and start diving, like the Thursday, oh, yes. Thursday that starts uh, next right. Coming Thursday on the thirty first. Yes, we were having great participation in that towards the end of the year. Yeah, well, people like to see people diving. The nice thing about river diving in these locations is people see you, and the word gets out. And we have many as many spectators of the people walking the shoreline come over to see what's in our baskets. Yeah, it's interesting. It's and then kids, you're getting the kids interested. Yep. 
I always like it. Are, are you going to throw that away? Can I have that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and generally, yes, because I've got plenty of those. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, good job getting out there and doing some diving. Kevin's just kicking off the season right. Well, I talked to him about the uh, rebreather up at uh, Go Ships. Oh, yeah, that's right. He went to the Go Ships. And just like I keep telling you, if you're interested in rebreathers, go there. It's cheap. Mm-hmm. It's well worth your time, and you're going to come away with a lot more yeah. personal experience bolstered by your own research. Yeah. Uh, it was a little different than, you know, the time I went. They only had four rebreathers this time, but you got to try them all. Right. And it gives you some pros and cons of each one because you put it on. You know how it fits you. You know how you can read or can't read the gauges very well, how the buoyancy is going to affect you and your balance. So that alone, he said, was just worth going for. And, uh, of course, at the ghost ships, they have a – it's basically the who's who in diving, especially mm-hmm. shipwreck and techie diving. And their four, a floor display is great for techie gear. Yes. So it's a win-win. Yeah. Kyle, on that rebreather front, here's what I recommend for people – is spend some time and research and in your mind decide which one, if you, if you, somebody gave you $20,000 in two weeks to learn how to do it, decide in advance which one that you think you'd go with. And then with an open mind, go and try them out and see if it's still the same thing. I'm going to bet that many cases it isn't because it's awful hard by looking at a piece of paper to figure out which rebreather you're going to like. Because you've got. I'm sorry, go ahead. You, you got so many variables into it, you know, where the counter lung is, how it breathes, how it's set up, uh, the options, the systems. It's just, it's, it's quite a bit different to try it than to just read about it. And that's what Kevin was mentioning. He's done a lot of good research and he was able then to put that research into practical application mm-hmm. and came by with the same comments like, depends on your bill, depends on the size of the unit, how it fits you whether you like it or you don't like it. Yeah. He was saying there is a huge contingency of rebreather people up in the Wisconsin area on that side of the lake. Oh, yes. You have uh, Jitka. She's a rebreather diver. And I I know of people who, because uh, the company I used to work for was up there, and there were three or four guys who were all in the rebreathers. It seemed something about that side of the lake, people really got into the rebreathers heavy. Uh, relatively speaking, I mean, we're, we're talking maybe a dozen people. Well, I think part of it is when you get up there, you're a little more northern and mm-hmm. the wrecks are deeper. Yes. And it's definitely like uh, on Jitka's boat, It that tends to really, uh, and what's the name of her boat again? Uh, don't know. Uh, crud. Uh, we'll, have to, we'll have to look it up. But uh, her, while you don't have to be a rebreather diver, it, it seems that that is a, majority of the people on her charters oh gosh i'm just drawing a blank right now how do you spell her name again uh it's a, i think it's uh j-i-t-k-a or something uh molly v is the name of the boat oh okay yep the molly v in the... oh, i just typed it up uh shipwreck explorers.com is the, is the site and she does a lot of charters. It, it really goes for that type of diving. But it, it, there seems to be something about uh, that side of the state. Oh, and that reminds me, since since we're talking about events, we have Beneath the Seas that's coming up here in Holland uh, the, this Saturday, I think it is, isn't it? Yeah, 26th from 7 to seven p.m. to 9.30 p.m. It's going to be the Knickerbocker Theater. Uh, this is the MSRA's annual presentation that they do, and it's worth 
uh, taking a look if you haven't gotten a chance to go there. You uh, you want to be sure you get a seat. Uh, they do sell tickets at the door if they haven't sold out. So they have sold out in the past. I don't know if they sold out last year. I think they had enough for walk-ins last year. But if you want to be sure, you want to get tickets in advance. So has anybody got any dive plans? Uh, we have Kevin. We know he's diving this weekend. I saw uh, somebody uh, in the the Mud Club Facebook page. On the board on Facebook about who wants to dive. I got my name in. Uh-huh. I don't know where. I mean, if the river was not as fast. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, you, you got some rain today, so I don't think it's going to slow Actually, down. I need somebody to zip my freaking suit. So if anybody wants to <laughs> zip my suit, I'll go diving this weekend. Yeah. But uh, I'll probably be work. I'll, I'll, I'll have a dive in next week because we had a little work job coming up. Now, do you get a chance to do the open house at the marina? Yes, I did. I went both days. Um, it seemed like every time I go, I'd wind up eating food and sitting at the table, and the people would come over, and we'd be talking for an hour, two hours. <laughs> um, Larry and Ken showed up on Sunday. Tenors were there on Sunday. Uh, they got into a real good Larry and uh, Ken found the Garmin dealer. He came over. He was uh, busy on Saturday, but he came in showing some of their new products. Uh-huh. Drool, drool, drool. Now, when you say drool, are you talking about some some improvements to side scanning? Not improvements. Brand new unit. Garmin oh. comes out. Side scan. The sweep is 700 feet per side. That's a quarter mile shot every swath you make. Really? Yep. You can put dual trans- transmitters onto if you're having issues with the prop like we have had before. Uh-huh. It has a Y type that it will take the right side of the transducer, ignore the left, take the transducer on your left, and ignore the right side of it when merges them together to give you a, a non-prop affected oh. uh, signal. This one is incorporated to do about everything. You can hook into autopilots, mm-hmm. nat, sav nat, satellite navigation, your stereo unit. <laughs> now, how about how about something for recording what you've got in the bottom and then laying it over a map? Do they this, have anything like that? Absolutely. Now, this is what's funny because Lawrence, or Bob just bought a new unit, by the way. Right. Uh, he was putting his on last week, and I saw him there Saturday. The Lawrence one is nice because it's got both the down imaging and the side. Uh-huh. The Garmin now has that capability, the touchscreen. Uh, we were looking at the touchscreen unit. That as you're going through and you see the target, you can back up to that target now. And then you touch the target that you saw, it would give you the exact location where you put your finger. So instead of saying it's 350 feet to the right of my GPS sighting here, it would tell you the GPS sighting for it. That is awesome. Yes. Uh, it had a capability that you could then take that smaller unit, 10-inch one, take the video output port, go to Best Buy and get you a $100 22-inch screen mm-hmm. that works on DC, Hook it in, you got your freaking twenty-two inch screen to look at your your image with, or your tracking. That would be freaking awesome. Mm, sounds like uh, oh, we may need to do a little bit of research on this. And it's incorporated to Doctor Depth program that will do video profiling, and every time you go back, it adds to it. Now you said they've got Doctor Depth. Well, it's not Doctor Depth. It's um, my understanding. Doctor Depth got bought by one of these companies. I didn't. I think know. it got bought by Lawrence. That's what I hear. But now the Garmin will have that same feature, and the way they do their uh, tracking, they don't do it like lanes left and right like we do. Mm-hmm. They do circular patterns like the Navy does. That was an interesting concept to try to get your hand your your mind around. 
So the, what's the idea behind a circular? So you just kind of do circles? Well, you do your first circle, and if you're doing a 700-foot swipe, you definitely know what you have in a 700-foot circle. Then you go out 500, 600 feet. Now you start another circle. You have done your overlap, and you know where it isn't, especially if you started with a, a known fixed coordinate, like mm-hmm. here's where the Havana is. Right. Well, let's do a circular pattern, and with the memory that it does, it paints the bottom. You're going to find nice. out how much wreckage you got down there. Well, well, that would be nice because if you're going around an object, you're going to get a. You're not going to get the like if if you're used to seeing a typical side scan, you get this big shadow off one side or the other. Then you try and fill in that shadow. If you're going a circle all the way around it, you're really going to get a good image of that. Yes, you are. Plus, you're going to get an idea. What we've always wondered is, uh, do we have debris fields? Uh, and now, if you've got that thing that takes care of the prop, because that's a lot of reason why we don't do circles. Is your prop wash usually messes up one uh, one side of the uh, transducer at least? And any any turns gives yeah. you a fake fake signal. So oh, you you get all sorts of things. The right. one side's compressed and the other side stretched, and right. And you can make that. Why wow, that looks just like a flying saucer, and it does. But you made it look like a flying saucer. So what did Bob think when he saw it? Or is he going to get two? <laughs> oh, he's getting his. He's getting his mounted on his boat. Yeah, he's got. He's, he's got the Lawrence. Go. I he? am going with him. <laughs> I was say, I'll go. I'll go. Yeah. Well, cool. Because uh, well, and that was one of the things Kevin was saying is that he he's pretty much he's going out to survey. He goes. Yeah, and he's working rivers and shallow because he's looking for those known shallow wrecks that are known to have been sunk in a lake or a pond. Not a pond, but good sized lake, and he's finding them. Because he's going out there, dedicated time to look at him. Yeah, we need to get with Kevin. I need to get with Kevin and see if he needs to get a website set up because he's got all this information. He needs to start. No, he it out needs there. to do his book first because he's got enough now to a good a good book with video, still shots on shallow water wrecks defined with pictures, so people could. Here's a book of twelve of them. Mm-hmm. You know, guaranteed. Yeah, yeah, you can do that. Yeah. Just, it just seems like I hear a lot of people talk about books that we never see. Yeah, me included. <laughs> well, the books, then, I'm just, I've got to get my ass in gear, get yeah. my photos, diagrams, illustrations, and pictures done. Yeah. That's what I'm working on this year. Yeah. Well, that'll be good. Look, We're looking yeah. forward to seeing it. And same thing with Kevin. You know, it's so easy to collect all this information and never do anything with it. Uh, I think you kind of have to do the, the, the current thing is in a continuous publishing model. Where you get content out frequently and as much as you can. So, good job. Or we're starting to hit that season. I'm I'm in the middle of robotic season, so I don't know when I'm going to be able to get back out again. But uh, hopefully, it will be soon. This weekend being Easter and Good Friday uh, is going to be a challenge for many of us. Uh, but uh, we're the heathen just... I am. I didn't even realize that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, going to be this weekend. Yeah, sometimes I, I I'll do the same thing. I'll be you know I'll I'll try and make plans. I'm like, oh, geez, there seems like there's something going on Sunday. Why do you know why, why do I have that open? So yeah. That's usually how it starts. Is I is I don't have anything planned or booked, and I and I just think, gosh, there's open spaces meant to be filled. You know, my wife says if I don't if I don't check the refrigerator, which is where the calendar is, and I don't see something, you know, that's my fault. But I got there's some FAA things coming up. I want to attend next week and the week after. In the middle of the week, so. Yeah, well, you were tired, guys. I mean, that's a, that's a whole different story. I know, and I just, God knows what I, 
I, I, I, I mean, do you even know what day it is? Yeah, I knew it was Thursday. Somebody told okay. me. <laughs> if I get one thing done a day, I'm good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, other than getting up, that's number one positive thing yeah. right there. Yeah, that, that's a good thing to do is, getting, is waking up in the morning. Well, not necessarily the morning. Waking up at least sometime during the day. Yeah, well, if I went to bed early, I usually do eight hours. So if I go to bed at two in the morning, I get up eight hours later. That works. Yeah. Okay. Well, once again, I'd like to thank WRVO Radio for putting us on the air this season. WRVO Radio, the radio programs for the great outdoors, 24 by 7, fishing, hunting, scuba diving. I'll have to take a look, see what else he's got on the air. I haven't I haven't seen uh, his every once in a while we'll add new programs. So take a lot, take a look at their programming. Um, we also love those five-star reviews. You go to iTunes. If you like listening to the program, drop one there. Uh, also on iTunes, uh, 73759 is iTunes. Not I said iTunes. Uh, TalkShoe. dot com. 73759. And uh, drop us a line if you want to be in the chat room. Uh, we didn't turn it on tonight. Got a little bit of a late start. But uh, some weeks we're on, some weeks we're not. So drop us a line and we'll get it added in there. Uh, Scoob Obsessed, the website, www.scoobobsessed.com. And uh, it's time for me to update that. That's getting pretty bad again. And don't forget to tell them the club website has been updated. Yes, mudclub.scubaobsessed.com. Uh, did a little bit of reorganization, and we'll continue to do some tweaking on there. But if you're coming to the Great Lakes, especially Lake Michigan on the Michigan side, we've got a lot of shipwrecks listed there dive sites, dive locations. Also, if you want to do some inland lake diving, uh, primarily meant for members of the Michigan Underwater Divers Dive Club, but it's open for everybody to use, and it has information about like Lake 16, how it's set up, what you can find when you dive there, conditions, locations. So a good resource if you're interested in it. Plus, we've got the trip. Okay. Well, we'll continue. So just as we're getting to the end, uh, audio poked its way up. Thank you, Microsoft, for doing updates and forcing everybody to update in the middle of the night. Nice taking a product like Skype and just driving it into the ground. So, it's that time of the show. Here we go. A farmer lived in ancient Rome. He was working in the fields one day when he came across a giant strawberry, about one foot wide and 18 inches high. He thought it would be a novelty that many would like to see, so he took it home, washed it off, set it up in a display case. He advertised a giant strawberry far and wide. People came from all over the world to see the exhibit. He charged admission and made a pile of money. However, he failed to report his earnings to tax authorities, so they came to his farm to confiscate his exhibit. When they arrived at his door, he said, I suppose you've come all this way to admire my exhibit as well. No, they said, we've come to seize your berry, not to praise it. Yeah. And that's a really obscure joke. So that one, uh, yeah, the, the Max uh, virtually booing it across the internet. Uh, I, I had to look it up to figure out what it meant. So uh, you, you can do a, a, a search on the internet and, and, and figure out what it meant, uh, as you say. So on that one, until next week, go out there and get wet. <laughs>